Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Get More Students podcast. I'm Alex Asher, your co-host and CEO of LearnCube. And I'm Herbert Goso, founder of Herbert Goso Digital. And today we are going to be talking about how to create emails that convert. Um, email marketing is, well, before I go on about how important I think email marketing is, we should really be introducing our guest, who is Lauren Martin. Yes. Lauren Martin is a creative copywriter and really focuses on the education sector. So we're in for a real treat. And I was going to say, you know, why it's so important. Actually, we've got to ask the expert here. So Lauren, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Welcome. Now, your first task and your first question is, what is the importance of email marketing? Wow, big question. Where do I begin? <laughs> um, so email marketing is extremely important for um, one main reason, and that is because it's the only marketing channel that you own. So in recent months, I know that a lot of teachers who have an Instagram presence have noticed that there have been some changes to the algorithm. People aren't getting as much reach or engagement as they were before, which has really highlighted how important email marketing is. So when you start building your email list, you are basically asking people to um, opt in, to agree to be on there and to be marketed to. So at the point that they've done that, they've basically told you that they want to hear from you. And they're interested mm. in what you have to say, which is why it's um, a really important channel to build um i'd say probably from the start of um launching a teaching business um then email marketing is also really important because it allows you to create a more personal connection with your subscribers so unlike instagram or um, other social media channels um email actually allows you to personalize to a degree that you simply can't on other platforms so when people opt into your mailing list they most likely give you their first name. And then that allows you to personalize your emails and actually speaking to them by including their first name in there. Um, and an interesting stat actually that I came across was um, that open rates of emails are increased by 50% when email subject lines are personalized. So that just gives you a, a nice. good example of how um, attention grabbing and um, good at building relationships email marketing can be. What a great point. Um, I, I th we actually do our own email marketing with LearnCube and I totally can back that up that when you do these A-B tests, you just, it's phenomenal to see the difference in what an, what can make to an open rate, um, as you say, to personalize or, or have that in the body. But it, it's really about that right message, right place, right time and, and kind of getting all those, that, those ingredients uh, correct. Is that, how do you kind of view that your overall strategy? Do you have any kind of like framework or thinking behind setting up uh, great emails? Um, yeah, so firstly, probably worth noting that email marketing can be split into kind of two main areas. Mm -hmm. So um, on the one hand, you have newsletters. So those are kind of, they fall under content marketing. There'll be your um, weekly, bi-weekly, monthly updates that you send to your subscribers, um, which aren't intended to sell. They're really good for engaging your subscribers, nurturing relationships with them. Um, and then on the flip side, you have um, email sequences or automations, as they're also known. So these um, can be used to um, welcome new leads to your list. They can be used to um, launch new products, to re-engage subscribers who perhaps dropped off and aren't opening your emails anymore. 
Um, so that's where I start. I like to look at um, the two different branches and how um, clients, education businesses would like to use them. Um, and then from there, I tend to recommend that you start with a couple of email sequences. So a welcome sequence would be one. When somebody uh, first signs up to your list, you want to give them a warm welcome, um, kind of introduce them to your business and tell, tell them what you're all about. And that's actually something that I notice a lot of um, education businesses don't do. Um, that's not only mm. in the education sector either. It tends to be, well, industry, uh, sorry, worldwide, I'd say. Um, so, yeah, I would say starting with um, a welcome sequence that um, welcomes your new subscribers to your emailing list and tells them what to expect would be a good place to start. And then from there, mapping out a content strategy for sending newsletters that will work for you. Yeah, I, I know that, uh, I mean, a lot of it, education businesses, language schools, they know, you know, they, they need a strategy. They know they need to send out uh, newsletters on a, on a regular basis um, and maybe have some of these uh, sequences in place. But I think the... Uh, uh, what we want to talk about uh, today um, is how to actually get get these emails opened, right? Uh, we can send out hundreds of emails, but if no one's reading them, then uh, you know, there's there's uh, no use for them. It'll be a waste of our time. So um, maybe you can introduce us to um, your strategies, your techniques on on how to increase uh, the conversion rates, the opening rates of our uh, emails. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, going back to what I said about um, people having agreed to be on your list, that is absolutely true, but it's not a ticket to just kind of bombard them with emails that you're not sure whether or not they're going to be interested in. So although mm. you've got them to that point, you still need to um, deliver great, valuable content that is going to keep them on your list because they can uns unsubscribe at any time. Um, exactly. So, of course, one of the most important ways um, to do that is by writing effective copy. Um, and we're going to start by looking at email subject lines and then we'll move on to body copy, um, which I'd say they're obviously very closely linked. But the email subject line is, I would say, the most important part of your campaign, because if it's not strong enough and doesn't get clicks, then it doesn't matter how good your copy is in the email, people aren't going to read it. So in terms of writing um, a strong email subject line, there are various different ways you can go about it. Um, but some of the main strategies that I like to use are writing subject lines that either spark curiosity, create a sense of urgency or scarcity, pose a question, um, include a clear benefit, or um, tackle a pain point and kind of hint that if they open and consume open the email and consume the content then they'll be able to avoid um, a pain point that they're struggling with so those tend to be some kind of tried and tested um, techniques that you can use of course when it comes to the urgency and scarcity you always need to make sure that you are being um, honest like saying there's two places left when there's not for example isn't a good mm. um technique to use but if you are in the middle of a launch um then um email subject lines like that can work really well um so i've always found that um email subject lines are the hardest part of the email to write simply because there is such a short um such a small character limit and you've got so much to mm. convey so a lot is riding on this <laughs> 
So what I tend to do is before I start writing an email, um, I will like write a kind of rough working title and then finish the email body and then go back to the subject line and pick out the kind of most intriguing, most hard hitting parts of the email that I can then um, adapt to use for the subject line. Um, Then in terms of the um, writing style, it's important to keep it short, concise and um, easy to view on a mobile. So, for example, when you're um, writing emails on desktop, which I assume a lot of people will be doing, uh, it's easy to go kind of over a character limit without really realizing. So it's important to check that back on um, on a mobile device so that you you know that your subscribers will be able to see the entire title. Um, then also another really good strategy to use is um, personalizing, um, like I mentioned mm-hmm. before, personalizing the subject line. So actually using the first name tag in there to tie, the, tie your message directly to that person. Um, I don't have a stat to hand, but I do know that um, when people see their names, um, like it, it's a lot easier to grab someone's attention when you're using their name. So if they're scrolling through their um, inbox and there's a bunch of kind of generic subject lines, one with the name and is going to stand out. But of course, you don't want to overuse that by doing it all the time. I was going to ask, every, Lauren, yeah. like, were you doing this every single subject line? typically because also i'm kind of trying to figure out when i do a subject line it can sometimes be like a great catch you can get the hook right without the name but adding the name can kind of make Mm. it look like clunky or clumsy and so i just i'm curious i'm curious on what your thoughts are on that yeah absolutely so i definitely say don't use it all the time Mm -hmm. um as with most things in copy um same with like if you're writing for seo you want it to sound natural People are going to be able to tell if you kind of shoehorn something in there and it doesn't fit. Um, and also, yeah, if you're using it all the time, it might sound a little bit strange. Like sometimes when I'm drafting an email, I'll write the name tag in a few places where it fits. And then I'll go back through and think, OK, it sounds a bit weird that I've mentioned their name that many times. So we'll take a couple out. Um, and yeah, the same goes with the subject line. I'd say only if it fits um, and yeah, use it sparingly. Just as an, do you have any examples that kind of spring off the mind? Otherwise, I've got one which I'm just kind of curious <clears throat> how natural it needs to to sit. Uh, so, for example, you could say, um, "Are you looking for more students, Lauren?" Okay, got for example, it. So something just, a natural mm-hmm. question. Got it. Right. Sure. So that's where you yeah. But often there's like actually another good example that you, I don't know if you would put it in subject line. Maybe it's a a black friday kind of promotiony kind of email like would you put it there or or just allow the promotion to again i know that this is all depends but i'm just curious as to when you see it fit more than than other times um yeah i think as long as it fits naturally in the sentence then it could work in a promotion email as well um for example um there's one spot left will you take it alex for example something that you could imagine yourself saying verbally. I think that's really good. I just realized how many emails I would have been really good for put that first name in. Because um, you're right, it, it can sound really natural when you when you put it that way, um, rather than always being a, hi, hi, Lauren, and then the subject line, you, you can mix it up mm. and, and kind of and 
do you have almost a frame of mind when you write a subject line is it like are you in a bar are you in a conference that you know is there some kind of framework that you find quite helpful of like how to how to write in the right tone um so obviously every business's tone is different so um before I start writing the email I kind of immerse myself in their world like kind of means being a bit like Sherlock Holmes um going through their Instagram yeah really getting to grips with their tone of voice um so then by the time I've written the email I'm kind of in that frame of mind and I tend to kind of picture myself in their world so like their kind of clients how they speak um so that's how I do it rather than picturing an actual environment um but I do like that approach actually (laughs) (laughs) try it out I'm definitely learning I'm writing a lot of notes here um my other question is you know should you include emojis for example we've played around with them ourselves and Mm. sometimes it works sometimes it hasn't do you have any of your own anecdotal or even statistical information I do have a statistic um so in recent years, uh, emojis were shown to increase email subject line open rates um, by, I think it was a stat saying 56% of brands using emoji in their email lines had um, higher open rates. So obviously that kind of enticed a lot of people to start using emojis, but then it kind of went in the opposite direction. Same with the first name. If you're using emojis all the time, then it's just going to get a bit tiring. Yeah. Um, and you're not going to stand out because that was the initial draw that using an emoji a colorful image mm. in a subject line which is otherwise just black and white um draws attention and makes you stand out but then yeah if brands are using them all the time or you've got 10 emails in your inbox that are all using emojis it's going to be a lot harder to stand mm. out so i don't know kind of what the most up-to-date stat is but i do know that emojis are becoming less popular now in subject lines and it's really important if you are going to use them again to use them sparingly but also to make sure that they actually add to the email subject line because for example if you're saying something like um if you've got the word world in your subject line you don't need to have the emoji of the world there but if you are talking about launching a course um or you've got an exciting offer to announce perhaps including something like a rocket or a lightning bolt can add to mm. it if you see what i mean um but yeah if you're just throwing them in for the sake of it then your readers are going to notice i also wonder if like i would now start seeing an emoji as almost a sign of a marketing email because none of my friends or professional colleagues would ever send me a subject line with an emoji if i just think of my inbox i can't think of i've only had one actually in the last like maybe months but i'm just curious if that might also be some kind of rationale yeah that is true actually um i expect that probably is the case given that so many businesses have started using them um, in their subject lines now i've got another one on particularly around promotions like i think when you're doing i I found writing subject lines around like hey there's a pain point and kind of like eliciting a response to that pain point is an easier one i'm going to use more first names of course uh but uh, <laughs> oceans is a really hard one for me i don't want to get caught on a spam filter and i also don't want to erode trust that i've built having offered a lot of value through the emails do you have any suggestions or ideas around that um yeah so there's a few um kind of trigger spam trigger words and mm-hmm. um 
the things that you'd like to, you should avoid for example using words like free um can yeah. be considered spammy uh, writing things in capital letters mm-hmm. um can also be spammy um i mean what about things like you know it, you know particularly coming up to black friday uh, you know mm-hmm. It is almost all about the offer, which is almost always about mm. some kind of deal and discount. Mm-hmm. Can you or should you even avoid try to put it there? Like you can be kind of like, hey, we've got an offer for you. But if I'm a reader, I'm like, yeah, okay, so does everybody else. Like, should I be bold enough to kind of say, hey, this is the offer and kind of have that as the attention grabber in, in, the, in the subject line? Or is that too too likely to get pulled up by a spam bot and then, you know, doesn't get results either way i'm unsure i just find that particularly promotions is a hard one for me to to understand yeah no i understand um yeah so using numbers is okay so i think it sometimes it can definitely be the best choice to actually include your offer in the um, subject line especially if it's a limited time promotion or something um something else though that kind of goes in your favor in terms of coming across as spammy or not is making sure that generally all of your emails um, are well received. If you are spamming people, then they're more likely to flag you when um, when you are promoting things because the deliverability rate isn't as high. Um, so if you've got a general track record for sending good, valuable emails, then it's less, like to, le- less likely to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but then equally, if you're worried that the actual copy is going to look salesy, then I think um, keeping it specific is always a good way to go. So if you're offering 10% off, you can say that and it should be absolutely fine in terms of um, not being flagged as spam. Okay, interesting. So it's like, you know, get the free first few months. Is that more likely to be hit by a spam situation than like a 20% off for this week only kind of thing? Uh, Yes. Interesting. Okay. Very good ideas. Um, also, do you have a, a rough rule of thumb of what you feel is an acceptable unsubscribe rate, which I'm assuming is what you're kind of talking about with like, is that what you're looking at or more? I mean, spam rates often, but unless you really ask quite spammy, should be pretty low. But is it your unsubscribe rate that you pay much attention to? Uh, yeah, I definitely recommend keeping an eye on the unsubscribe rate just as much as you keep an eye on the um, open rate, click through rate, etc. A lot of people can get kind of like almost like offended if they see people unsubscribing from their list. But the first thing I'd like to say is that it's not an insult. Um, We all subscribe to probably hundreds of mailing lists and we don't always open them. And sometimes Mm. you just decide to open this one email and then you decide on that day you're going to unsubscribe. And often it's not because of the content. It's just because you've subscribed to too many things and you haven't been engaging. Um, Mm. And that goes back to the importance of welcoming your subscribers to your list and building that connection as soon as they subscribe and they're as hot as they can be but i think it's also fine to uh you know have have people unsubscribe from your list because maybe they are um not leads anymore they have moved on uh and and you're kind of cleaning your list so uh as long as you're not you know in the multiple percentages per 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 email then i i think and having unsubscribers are uh, is can be a good thing yeah absolutely and then in terms of a percentage i think you want to be aiming for um i think the average is around less than one percent 
maybe 0.7%. Yeah. Um, obviously, you want mm. to be looking at that over a period of time. So I wouldn't worry if um, like on an email by email basis, unless you are losing a lot of subscribers with every email that you send. Fantastic. Well, this seems like a good part of moving to the second section, which is really about how do we improve conversions? And that goes back to probably where also uh, your skills will come through, which is on the body of the email. Take us yeah. through some of your key tips and then let's have a have a chat. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So once uh, you've got somebody to open the email, you don't want to let them down. So you want to you've built up that momentum. You've got them intrigued enough to click. So you want to hook their attention from the moment they open your email. Um, so often that means opening again, keeping it personalized. So saying hello, first name. And then diving straight into um, the body of your email. So you don't want to be kind of beating around the bush. I know when we write emails kind of like within companies or just on a personal basis, it's very easy to go off on a tangent before you get to your point. When you're writing mm. emails for subscribers, you want to get straight to the point. Um, now, what that point is will depend on the purpose of the email. So if your email is a promotional one, for example, you want to keep it short and sweet. You want to dive straight into what you're offering and try to entice them to click through and purchase. Um, whereas if you are welcoming people to your list, you want to keep that the tone a bit softer. You want to give them a welcome, um, explain what they can expect from you and then um, things that they could do right now. For example, um, adding you to the safe sender list so that your future emails get delivered to them. Um, encouraging them to join you on other social media channels. It could be following on Instagram, listening to a podcast, something like that. Um, then if you are sending promotional a sales sequence, for example, then you might want to adopt a storytelling approach. So this can be really good to grab attention from the moment that they open the email um, by hooking them in with something that sparks their curiosity. So um, a good technique there is diving into kind of the heart of a story. So it could be a struggle that um, a student was facing, something quite um, that sounds perhaps a little bit dramatic, um, sparks their curiosity. And then you gradually take them through um, how this person resolved the problem and then give them a kind of solution at the end, show them that there's light in the tunnel for them as well. And would that be in one email or is the storytelling of multiple emails? Uh, it can be either. So the idea is that your subject line will open a loop. So open a loop of curiosity. And then each line that you write after that in the body needs to also continue opening loops. So you're never giving them all of the information in one go so that they keep reading through to the bottom. Um, so, of course, you can just put one story in an email. Um, but if your sequence is over a few days, you can also split that story over a few emails to open loops and encourage them to then click to open the next email that you send. I really like that idea. I guess where I sort of struggle a little bit and I'm still learning how to use email marketing myself. Um, but when you have, let's say you're doing a multi-step kind of email there's not necessarily a call to action at the end of the first or even second, or is there always some kind of call to action or, or, or how do you kind of keep people hooked as you say? Um, so that's where the, 
the storytelling and the opening of loops comes in really handy because you're right, not every email in a sequence would have a call to action. Um, although sometimes it could just be to reply to the email. Um, so that can be a good one for, again, improving your deliverability rates and also building a community. I think when we're sending um, email after email to people, it can feel a bit from your side like you're bombarding them. So if you use a call to action to actually just get them to reply, not asking them to do anything, commit to anything, um, then that can help to reduce that feeling and build that sense of community. Um, and then, yeah, if you're not including a call to action in that email, that's absolutely fine. But I would suggest adding a PS line or something at the end to say, tomorrow I'll be back to tell you more about this. And that can pique their interest. So at the end of maybe the first email, would you even have like an open question? One thing I am kind of quite curious on is this idea of getting people to reply. On a recent email, I actually just wrote that. I was like, hit reply. If and and usually all of my emails have been very much like click this, watch this, see this, and your value add, value add. But I was like, no, I'm actually going to ask. Like, would you be interested in you know a call? Hit the reply button. We actually got a really great response, and I was too kind of scared to do that before. But do you have any good language around calls to action that obviously is straight to the point, but uh, yeah, that aren't so salesy that they kind of put people off or kind of explode any of the kind of trust you might have built out of those emails uh, previous or, or that particular one yeah absolutely do you mean calls to action where you're getting people to click or to yeah reply? actually it's all about that like click click here is kind of an obvious you know the language that you use and people are very common with that is is there anything is there any good language that you have or that you use often to that really stimulate some kind of reaction whether it be to click to reply or something else um so i always like to keep it in the same tone of voice. Um, I think jumping from, say, for example, a friendly, warm, welcoming tone to click here can be quite um, jarring. So mm -hmm. I'll try to fit it in naturally. Similar with the subject line where I was saying to add the name in naturally. I always like to read it out loud and check that it's actually something that sounds good in spoken language too. Um, so a way of softening it can be, yeah, if you have ever struggled with this or if you feel like you're ready to step up blah 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 um hit reply and let me know or um why not try uh, why not have a look at this course or um offer that you've got so i think it's about just mm -hmm. um yeah thinking how you would say this if you were actually speaking to somebody because the calls to action uh, while generally speaking should be concise and powerful it can be more friendly and approachable in an email because it's a longer form piece of content yeah I think that that's one thing I sort of struggle with and I'm, I'm wondering if others do as well as uh, when I think about it, a lot of my emails are like at the end there I want to make it very clear what I want them to do mm -hmm. but I can see that that now I'm like oh wow actually click here can sound quite transactional yes uh, and yeah. maybe I could incorporate those into the LearnCube emails that we send. Interesting. If you're so. ever in doubt, just uh, read your email out loud and see how yeah. it sounds to, to you. Because when we're writing, it can be quite easy to get lost in what you think sounds good. And then when you actually read it out, mm -hmm. oh, actually. Um, so did you have anything else around best practice around call to action and asking for replies? If you're asking for replies, it can be good to relate that what you want them to do back to what you've been speaking about. So for example, um, if you've been talking about ways to improve um, a certain skill, then you can ask 
your readers, what do they struggle with related to that? And um, this can be a really good way, not only to build relationship, um, create a sense of community, um, it can also be good for finding out more about your ideal clients. So it doesn't always have to be um, about just delivering them value. It can be also a learning point for you to figure out how mm. you can better serve them. So I try and think of it in that way. Um, and then also when you are asking for replies, the more specific you can be with your questions, the more um, the higher the chance that people will actually reply. The, if you keep it kind of vague and too open-ended, um, people might not really know what you're asking or they might not know what to say. But if you give them something solid, um, so for example, um, what's your biggest challenge with learning English? Um, it's a lot easier for them to come up with an answer quickly. If they have to think too much, they're probably not going to hit reply. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. if you kind of give them that, um, that hint, it can help. Yeah, I've also found that uh, specificity is, uh, it is a huge advantage when, when writing emails, whether it be for subject lines or, or the body copy or, you know, these call to actions. Having it as specific as possible for your target audience uh, definitely increases uh, engagement. Yeah, absolutely. And I think once you start to realise, um, once you start to keep specificity in mind and you reread some of your copy, you find that a lot of areas that you can be more specific and then it mm. instantly makes it more powerful. Um, one thing that you might have some unique insights to, particularly with your speciality and creative copy for education, is just some ideas on sort of benchmarking. I think um, when you're doing email marketing, it can feel quite saddening when you're like oh, okay cool great open rate but like i'm literally getting so few people that are you know clicking this thing um or, or replying even though that might actually be quite good industry wise but you don't know because you're only seeing your own statistics do you have any kind of rough kind of rules of thumb of what you feel is say a good open rate and maybe a good conversion rate and, and any other kind of benchmarking that could be helpful for people to know hey where am i sitting with the performance of my emails yeah, absolutely. So um, a good open rate would be around 20%. Um, that tends to be industry-wide, uh, sorry, um, across different sectors. Um, and then in terms of um, conversion rate, you'll be looking at 5 to 7% um, is good. So obviously that doesn't look like very much, which is a good reason to build your email list. Because um, mm. if you have a small email list, then you are likely to see um, a lot less conversions, basically. With that um, conversion rate, I think sometimes, and I even get confused myself, you've got click rate, you've got click through rate, and then you've got conversion rate. And it, it, can you just be quite clear on what you mean by conversion rate? And is it 5% five, 5 of the 20% that open, or is it 5% of all of the people that receive that email? So one, basically a, a quarter of the people that would say receive something um yeah so that would be five percent of everyone yep yes. and, and there was one thing um i actually only learned recently um that apple um changed the way that they um there was some kind of technicality with um open rates so basically not all emails um platforms can now um, document a open rates from Apple devices so that mm. might skew the open rates somewhat I'm not sure um, how kind of relevant the open rate is considering that most people do use Apple devices um, but it, I mean it's still worth keeping an eye on 
It's very true, actually. In my uh, in the email software that I use, they have a, a separate um, number for Apple users' open rate. So uh, yeah, which which only just appeared very recently. Yeah. So I guess if you if you can see that stat, then it will be helpful. But um, based on that, it would be better to be looking at click through rates and conversion rates instead to see how sure. well your emails are performing. When you're doing your A-B testing, um, so we use a particular system and it's like, you know, do your A-B test and, you know, it will send it to the rest of the list after usually four hours or something. Uh, do you have any thoughts on whether you optimize by conversion rate, click rate? In uh, my particular um, system, it's click-through rate. But would you still use open rate or click-through rate, for example, as the thing that you trigger the, the email to go out to the rest of the uh, the list? Um, yes, I would still use open rate. Still use um, open rate. If, if they haven't opened it, then you can yeah, resend it. Great. Uh, well, those are most, I mean, I've got a lot more questions, but we are <laughs> probably coming to the end of our time. I did notice a little message here on a formatting the email body. Do you want to just tell me about what you mean there? Yes, absolutely. So, um, of course, what you write in your email is probably the most important thing but copy isn't only about how it's written it's also about how it's formatted mm -hmm. so in order to keep people engaged and actually wanting to read your copy you need to pay attention to how you lay it out because if you've got um, a big block of text that looks overwhelming to look at it doesn't really matter how good your copy is it's very unlikely that people are going to keep reading it so when we're reading um, on any device, but particularly on mobile, we want to be able to skip from line to line very easily. You don't want to be presented with um, something that looks like an essay or a book. Um, so when you're mm -hmm. writing your emails, I suggest starting a new line um, every one or two sentences, depending on obviously what the topic is, what the purpose is. Um, you can also break it up with emojis. I know we spoke about them in terms of subject line, but you can they can also be good in the body copy as well. Um, but I would mainly use them there to, yeah, to make it more visually appealing and easier for the reader to read. So, for example, if you've got bullet points to say, you could use an emoji to start them. It just breaks it up visually. Um, and then lastly, I mentioned before that we often um, edit or write our emails on desktop. Um, but when you are sending your test email, make sure to look through it on mobile devices because it looks so different. Sometimes I'll write a paragraph that I think looks perfectly fine on my big computer screen, but then I'll send the email and it looks it's just too much. So then you have to revise it and break it up a little bit. Um, so as well as reading the copy, make sure that you're looking at the formatting because it is just as important for it to be read. My last question on there, and I've been doing my own A-B testing on this. Do you have any um, of your own experience with whether you use plain text or whether you use design uh, design templates? Particularly, you talked about the newsletter, that's one thing, but also uh, you talked about sequences. So I'd be particularly interested in that sequence aspect. Um, for sequences, I tend to recommend just keeping it to plain text. I think too much on the screen can be too distracting, uh, especially because... Um, Obviously, newsletters are designed to inform you, point you in different directions to consume different content. But sequences have one goal, and that tends to be one goal for a whole set of emails. So you don't want to give people too mm. much to, to figure out or to look at. So I like to just include um, a heading 
that has the brand logo or um, tagline, for example, and then go straight into the email and just use things like emojis or maybe GIFs to break it up. Right. Fantastic. Um, my last question, actually, you just kind of um, brought it to my, the top of my mind, was around links and call to actions. In an email, often, you, you know, particularly if you're educating people, there might be various things that you're trying to educate people on, or it might be features. Do you have any thoughts or anecdotes on whether you would have just one link, one call to action in every email, or whether there'll be occasions where you might want to link you know, multiple, you know, to, to multiple things within a single email? Um, Again, it really depends on the purpose of the email. So if we're talking about um, welcoming subscribers to a list or the first time they, say, download a lead magnet, then I would recommend having a couple of different links in the first few emails. So, for example, follow us on this channel, consume this piece of content, watch this video. That's absolutely fine because you're trying to introduce them to the brand. The same goes for the next Uh, two or three emails you probably want to introduce them to what you do so you might say um, like using my own welcome sequence as an example I introduce the different services that I offer Um, and I say you can go here for copywriting service services go here for um, content writing services so there's I think three different links in total in that email Um, but that's okay because it's just giving them things to look at if they're interested Um, whereas if you are Uh, running a sales sequence um, or a um, re-engagement campaign, then you probably just want to keep um, each email to one link or uh, sometimes in a sales sequence, it could even be um, a couple of emails, uh, sorry, a couple of links across the entire email sequence because that end goal is just to get them to purchase. You don't want to give them too much to think about. The email is just designed yeah. to nurture them and convince them to eventually click that link when you send it. Wow. I've learned so much, Lauren. <laughs> I, again, I'm not I'm gonna hold my mouth um, just to make sure that I don't ask any questions because we are gonna finish up here, <laughs> folks. But I, I really enjoyed it, Lauren. So thank you so much. Uh, we have learned uh, a lot. We've learned about you know the different types of uh, of communication from newsletters to email sequences. You've really helped us understand the importance of the subject line of personalizing that subject line. We'll be very much remembering to use their first name a lot more, but in a really natural way. I thought that really came across very strong. Mm. Of your your key messages, Lauren, was to keep it as natural as you can. I love that idea of two particular tips you had, which was. Uh, speaking or like literally saying your email out loud to make sure it comes across as natural and also looking on a mobile device since that's so often what we're uh, reading and particularly things like sales emails it's probably not their most important thing to 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 read so remembering to look at that on on mobile is a really great great win you've really talked about keeping people hooked using uh, call to action in a really um, great way thinking about your formatting and you gave us some great tips as well on benchmarking. So Lauren, there was a lot to pack in there and I really appreciate it. Thank you so <laughs> Thanks much. Thanks so much, Lauren. Oh, thank you for having me. Lauren, I'm sure people would be very interested in a great creative copywriter like yourself. Where would they be able to find more information about you? Um, yeah, so I am on LinkedIn and um, um, under Lauren Martin and also um, Instagram at copythat.copy. Um, and then lastly, I've got a website which is www.copythat-copywriting.co.uk. 
Very easy. Excellent. Well, definitely encourage all of our listeners to check that out. Herbert, where can people find you? They can find me on my website, uh, herbertgerza.com. And you can learn more about LearnCube's virtual classroom and online school software at www.learncube.com. But we really appreciate you listening in to get more students. So please hit that subscribe button and uh, enjoy this episode and check us out for the next one coming up. Thanks again. Bye now.